Well, good morning, church. You know, I know it's an old story, and perhaps I've even used it, but there was this pastor who would call the children up to the front of the church each Sunday morning to give them a little children's chat, as he would call it. And they would sit on the floor in front of him, and he loved to involve them in the lesson. Well, on this particular Sunday, he began with an illustration. He said to them, boys and girls, I want to tell you a story about something that lives in the woods, but sometimes we can see him in our backyards. Children, do you have any idea who I'm talking about? No takers, complete silence. He said, it's a creature that lives in the woods and sometimes visits our yards. He has a big bushy tail and likes to eat nuts. Anybody have any idea what I'm talking about? Still, no takers. He said, children, this creature lives in the woods, sometimes in our backyards. He has a big bushy tail, eats nuts, likes to climb trees, and jumps from tree to tree. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Well, finally, one kid raised his hand to take the pastor out of his misery. And the pastor said, do you know what I'm talking about? The little boy replied, I know the answer should be Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel to me. (laughs) Now, any of you who have kind of been around church for a while and kind of maybe see yourself as born in the church nursery, you know that when in doubt, the answer must be Jesus, right? And the name of Jesus can kind of easily roll off our lips with much thought to who this Jesus is. Hopefully that happened this morning as we were singing. Who is Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus? Well, as noted in our present sermon series, I'm walking us through the essentials of our faith. We might want to call them our must-haves, our non-negotiables. I'm calling it True North, for it's critical that we have a fixed reference point, uncompromising beliefs, and an ever-changing world of relativism. Our beliefs matter, for they define who we are, where we're headed, and keep us on course with the many shifting winds of teaching that are out there today. And as pastors and elders, we believe that aligning ourselves with the Evangelical Free Church supports our mission and strengthens our commitment to doctrinal purity. And so we've been working our way through their statement of faith that we hope to adopt ourselves. And and they refer to these statements as articles of the faith. We spent two weeks, article number one, on the belief about God. We spent two weeks on article number two on what we believe about God's word. Last week, we looked at article number three and the belief about the human condition. Well, we come to article number four on the belief about Jesus. What is our fixed reference point on the person of Jesus? Well, article number four says it this way. It's on your screen. We read it earlier. We believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, fully God and fully man, one person in two natures. Jesus, Israel's promised Messiah, was conceived through the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a sinless life, was crucified in a Pontius Pilate, arose bodily from the dead, ascended into heaven, and sits to the right hand of God the Father as our high priest 
and advocates. Now, as we've seen in each of the previous articles of faith, this one statement, it's jam-packed. It's jam I'm going to try and unpack it for you. We're not going to be here till three o'clock today. I promise you that. But we have a lot to, to kind of dig in here. And I'm going to take two weeks on this one belief. Next week, I'm going to spend really on the last sentence there. Uh, and most of the, I'm going to pick up today um, for the rest of that statement. And so, look with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John. John chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 1. Now last week, we looked at the need for a correct view of the human condition. We saw that due to Adam's sin, all human beings are sinners by nature and by choice. And I think we can all agree that the world is not as it should be. I think it was G.K. Chesterton who said this, sin is the only theological concept that can be 100% proven. Just look around. <laughs> Just look around. Well, how does the Bible speak to that? How does the Bible speak to a solution to sin? How does the gospel address our greatest need? Jesus. <laughs> That's the correct answer. Well, who is this Jesus? Well, my approach this morning is to present to you the uniqueness, the uniqueness of Jesus with some only Jesus statements. Only Jesus statements. The outline's not original with me. Uh, the outline I, I borrowed, and I'll give it back to him when I'm done, John Ortberg. But this is, these are some only Jesus statements, okay? So look at me at John chapter 1, first only Jesus statement. Only Jesus is the God-man. Only Jesus is the God-man. All right, it says, verse 1, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. Now, I want to pause there for a moment, uh, because before we go any further, we must remove all doubt as to whom G John is referring and speaking of the Word. And if you go down, your eyes go down to verses 14 through 18, it makes it clear that John here uh, is introducing us to the person of Jesus. Look at verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Verse 16. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So John here doesn't leave us in the dark as to the identity of the word. Jesus is the word of God. And what does John say about the words? Well, John starts at the very beginning. Or as Julie Andrews sang in Sound of Music, let's start at the beginning. A very good place to start. When you read, you begin with ABC. When you sing, you begin with Do, Re, Mi. Right? Well, when you speak of Jesus, let's start at the beginning. A very good place to start. <laughs> I didn't sing it, which you can be thankful for. In the beginning was the word. What beginning? Well, begin. well, John reaches back here to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, same language, God created. Now, in the beginning is not just the time of creation, but at the time before anything came into being. Because we have what, what beginning is he talking about? Well, before creation, there was no beginning, uh, no time. So in the beginning, John says, the only beginning we know, he goes on, was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. 
Now these two verses, John answers when, where, and who questions. When was the Word? He was in the beginning. Where was the Word? He was God. Who was the Word? The Word was on a level of equality with God. Now some argue, some argue that if this Jesus was with God, then he obviously cannot be God. Either he is with God or he was God. You can't have it both ways. Well, to speak of this Jesus as being with God from the beginning is to say that Jesus was not made, he was not created, but shared in creating all things. That's what John goes on to say here in verse 3, right? All, through him all things were made. Through him all things were made. He's not created, he created all things. And then he adds this. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So anything in the category of made, Christ made it. Jesus was not made. That is what it means to be God. And the word was God. And as as Dan reminded us a couple weeks ago, the word for word here is logos. And logos is where we get our word logic. Jesus is the logic of God. God has spoken rationally. God hasn't given us a watertight watertight argument to prove Christianity is true. He has given us a watertight person. Jesus is the compelling truth that Christianity is true. So if you want want to see if the claims of Christianity are true and that God is true, you have to look at the life of Jesus. Now people say, I don't want to believe in this Jesus. Well, I say, have you read about this Jesus? I mean, you got to do that first, right? You got to do that first. You got to say, what does Jesus say about himself? Have you ever looked at Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and see what Jesus says about himself? Have you looked at his teaching? Have you considered Jesus' claims? Don't write it off. See what he says about himself. Because if you pick up and read the four accounts of Jesus' life with an open mind, you will see several occasions when Jesus claims to be God. Now, I'm not going to give you all those. I think the community groups will will look at those, and you can check it out yourself. But he makes claims, Jesus makes claims about himself. That's my point. You have to do something with that. You have to. You can't just like a man who talks like that. You can't just say, well, he, you know, I like that he's a good moral teacher. No, no, you have to do something with the fact that he made claims that he was God. It is all or nothing. Jesus made audacious claims about himself that if they were not true, as C.S. Lewis so aptly put it, he would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, equal with God, or else a madman or something worse. Who is this Jesus? He's fully God. Well, not only was he fully God, he was fully man. The word became flesh, it says down in verse 14. The divine creator has come down and made himself Vulnerable. Back many years ago now, and I know there's some controversy around the the story, 
But in Queens, New York, it was a story that made headlines many years ago. It was, it was of a 28-year-old woman, Kitty, who was walking home to her apartment when she was assaulted on the street by an assailant. And there she was on the sidewalk right in front of her apartment, and, and she's crying out for help. He's stabbing me! He's stabbing me! Up in, the, uh, up in the apartment, lights came on, and people looked out, but no one came down. Twice, twice, the sudden glow of their bedroom lights interrupted him and frightened him off. Each time, though, he returned, sought after her, and stabbed her again. Not one person came down. And the attacker eventually finished the job and killed her. Now, like I said, there's some controversy around the number of people who saw this. But let's say that's two people, five people, I don't know. There were some people who put on their lights, they looked down, and they saw what was going on, but they did not come down. Why not? Because they didn't want to get involved. You're, you're vulnerable if you come down. You risk your life. So nobody came down. The word became flesh. He came down. He added to his divinity real humanity. Why? He heard our cries. And when God heard our cries, he came down. He came down. He came down, not, came down knowing not that he'll risk his life, knowing it would cost him his life. The invisible God made himself known by becoming flesh, becoming man. He's God with skin on. He had a real human body that felt fatigue and hunger and pain and personal hurt and suffering and the stuff you go through. We're told in, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, Hebrews 2, verse 17, says, For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he, Jesus, might become a merciful and high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He's able to help those who are being tempted. Now, we're going to come back to this, that Jesus is our high priest, and the practical ramifications of that next week, as we'll likely look at Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16. So we're going to come back to that. But suffice it to say now, Jesus shared in our humanity. He understands you. He has been where you have been. Have you been misunderstood? So was he. Have, have, you, have you felt an injustice? So did he. Have you been betrayed? So was he. Are you broke? <laughs> so was he. More than that, God came down to meet our greatest need. God chose to make himself known finally and ultimately in a real historical human being. Jesus is unique. He's unlike any other religious teacher or leader in history. Check it out. Only Jesus is the God-man. Jesus is fully and completely both at the same time. And this is more than just some theological statement. It is at the heart of the gospel. As the next only Jesus statement tells us, only Jesus led a perfect life. It's important of number one, because of number two, only Jesus led a perfect life. All right, look at the opening words again of verse 14. The word 
became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, it literally says there, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. John could have used many other words about Jesus living among us, and he chose to use the word tabernacle, and he used it intentionally. Because those of the Jewish faith would immediately think of the tabernacle Moses set up in the wilderness. They would remember the time when Moses asked God to show him his glory. Let me see your face, Moses asked. And God said, I can't. You you, you wouldn't survive it. But this is what I'm going to do, God said, in essence. You set up this place, this tabernacle, and I will dwell in that place. Now, however, where was the glory of God revealed uh, in that tabernacle? It was concealed in the Holy of Holies behind the veil. We're going to talk a little bit about Holy of Holies next week. But it was concealed in the Holy of Holies behind the veil. Why was it concealed? Why was the glory of God concealed? Because the people could not behold His glory. They could not have it. It would be there, but they couldn't touch it. How beautiful then. How rich and profound Uh, These words, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. It goes on. We have seen his glory. How is it possible that we can behold the glory Moses couldn't? Jesus. It's the correct answer again. He came and he tabernacled among us. The glory of God became a baby but not conceived in any ordinary way. It matters that Jesus came into the world conceived through the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin. Because as we saw last week, all of the human race inherited the sinful nature because of our union with Adam except for one man, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus' origin was with God and not with some human father. That's significant. See, the virgin birth was not something that the early Christians would have made up. In that culture, in that day, they were extremely sensitive to sexual correctness and propriety. In the book Evangelical Convictions, it says this, from the earliest days, stories were circulating about the illegitimacy of the birth of Jesus. And the Christians would have been foolish to throw fuel on the fire by preserving a story such as this. It was undoubtedly considered true and important in understanding who Jesus is. And all of its challenges to understand the mystery of Jesus' birth. Church, it is a must-have. A non-negotiable an essential of our faith. In church, there is no need. There is no need to apologize for our belief in the virgin birth or any other of the great mysteries that are hard to understand. I love how Alistair Begg put it. The reason our friends and neighbors largely dispense with Christianity It's not because they've considered it and found it to be untrue. It's because they regard it as completely trivial. Trivial. And one of the reasons they regard it as trivial 
It's because we as believers, get this, we as believers are bending over backwards to try and accommodate them in their unbelief, trying to make it appear that we're not sure we really believe the hard parts. Church, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't surrender the hard parts. Let's not dismiss the hard parts as unimportant. What if we communicate to the world when we do that? You don't really believe it. Stop. Don't do it. We don't need to accommodate there. Alistair Begg, he goes on to say, it's in the hard parts of the good stuff is found. It's in the hard parts of the essence of the message is conveyed. You see, why does it matter what we believe about the virgin birth? Because only as God did Jesus have the power to forgive sins and conquer them. Only as man, the sinless perfect man, was he qualified to do so. Now suppose, suppose you were lost in the woods. You take this turn, you take that turn, and every time you kind of end up at the same place, right where you started. You're panicking, it's starting to get cold and dark. You then remember you packed the compass in case this happens. So you take out your compass, but unfortunately, your compass doesn't point to uh, magnetic true north. It only points to yourself. <laughs> You're never getting out. That's a picture of one lost in sin, looking to some religious experience to get you, yourself out of, of the, out of that dilemma. It keeps pointing to yourself. It's of no help at all. See, the real problem with sin is that by definition, we can't fix it. All human beings fall short of God's standard of righteousness. Then what's the, what's the answer to our problem of sin? Is it found in some religious experience? Is it found in looking deep within ourselves? When Jesus came, he fulfilled the requirements of the law which no human being could ever claim. Only Jesus can deal with our sin because he led a sinless life. He never coveted, he never gossiped, he never lied, he never cheated, he was not greedy, he didn't throw others under the bus in order to make himself look better, he never gave false testimony, he never fill in the blank. He led a perfect, sinless life. And because he was the only one who ever led a perfect life and was born to a virgin, so that he did not inherit Adam's sinful nature is the, the only one able to take your sin and its penalty to the cross and qualified to save you out of your lostness. Only the God-man, only the perfect sinless Christ could be the sacrifice for your sins. But there's another only Jesus statement that's really a slam dunk that Christianity is true. One more, I have two more, but one here in terms of moving towards our application of another only Jesus statement. Only Jesus is Lord. Only Jesus is Lord. Now, a couple of weeks ago, when Pastor Dan was walking us through the opening verses of 1 John, he spent considerable time on the fact of the eyewitness accounts of the early followers of Jesus. Now, I want to return there briefly, for John says this incredible statement in, in verse 14. In the middle of 14, he says, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, John here is not speculating on some philosophical idea. He's bearing witness to what he experienced. We've seen his glory, he says. It's a personal observation of a living reality. 
See, John and the other disciples, they heard Jesus' claims of divinity. They watched Jesus turn the water into wine and feed more than 5,000 people with a boy's lunch and make, make this bold claim. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Could he be, they wondered, could he be the Messiah uh, whom God sent to set people free, they wondered? Now in Jesus' day, there weren't a lot of them, but there were a few others who, who claimed to be the Messiah. All those messiahs called others to a deeper life. There were those who claimed to be the one God sent to free Israel from Roman oppression. But what happened to all those other messiahs? What one thing did they all have in common? They all died. And when the messiah you're putting your hopes in to liberate you is dead, now what? I mean, who wanted to follow a dead messiah? And it really would explain why the disciples were so devastated and fled and hid when the one they believed to be the Messiah was arrested, executed on the cross, and then buried. For that moment, they had to wonder if they were following the wrong guy, the wrong Messiah. And that's what's so remarkably, so remarkably unique about Jesus. He died, he was buried. And he rose again. And post-resurrection, they saw him. They talked with him. They touched him. They ate meals with him. He was not like the dead messiahs that came and went. He was the one and only resurrected messiah. We have seen his glory. Only Jesus has conquered death. That could not be said of any other religious leader, prophet, or teacher. In Romans chapter 1 verse 4, Romans 1 verse 4 says, And who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Now get this, Jesus Christ our Lord. We kind of just let that go right by us. That word, Lord. No, don't dismiss the word Lord too quickly in reference to Jesus. To call Jesus Lord was not merely some term of respect. After Jesus was resurrected from the dead, Jesus, uh, calling Jesus Lord became a regular thing. You can see it all through the book of Acts. They called him Lord. They called him Lord. They called him Lord. What is significant about that? Well, for the Israelites, they worshiped one true God, Yahweh. And the Greek word they used to translate uh, Yahweh was kurios, which means Lord. Only Yahweh could be called kurios, Lord. And so for them now, to call Jesus Lord can only mean one thing. They knew he was Yahweh God. And by calling them Lord... It meant they were going to now align their lives with him. It meant they were going to give him all authority over their lives. Jesus is Lord. He is God. And they were saying, we will give you full control now because you are Lord. You were raised from the dead. You conquered death. You are Lord. And they were willing to die for him because he is Lord. C.T. Studd put it this way, if Jesus Christ is Lord and died for me, then no sacrifice that I could ever make for him could ever be too great. 
See, we not only ask, who is Jesus? But what do you do with this Jesus? What, what difference does this Jesus make in your life? Is he your Lord? Is he my Lord? Don't answer that too quickly. See, we don't make Jesus Lord. He is Lord. It's a question of whether or not he'll be Lord of your life and mine. There's a game we used to play as kids. You probably remember it. It's called King of the Mountain, right? The king was the one on the top of the snowbank or a mound of dirt or some other hill. And as other kids would kind of run up the hill, they'd try to push you off to being king of the mountain. You'd push back because you were going to be the king of the mountain. But if one of them were able to push you off the top of the hill, they were now the king of the mountain. Big deal. I mean, no, it was a big deal, none. There can only be one king on the mountain. There's only one Lord, one God, and in a day in which tolerance is king, truth is pushed out of the way. Watch that. Who's king of the mountain of your life? Who is Lord? And and you know what? He never pushes his way to the top, but he longs to be the Lord of your life. What is at the top of your life? What is at the top of your life? And are you, are you pushing for the top? Some, some possession at the top. What is it? See, you can, you can attend here on Sunday, but does he have full control of your relationships? You can participate in church activities, but does he have full control of your finances? You can speak and you can sing and you can talk of this Jesus, but do you trust him with what matters to you most? Is he Lord of your decisions? Is he Lord of your mouth? Is he Lord of your thoughts? Do you trust your significance and your worth to the Lord Jesus? Who's Jesus? Only he's Lord. Do you know this Jesus? Last only Jesus statement. Only Jesus can give you a relationship with God. Only Jesus can give you a relationship with God. You see, you may may know about God, but to know him takes Jesus. And perhaps the Christian life would be a lot easier if God simply gave us some set of rules and procedures to, to decide whether to accept or reject, but instead, he gave us himself in the person of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus comes to us as we are to save us from what we are. And what God did in coming down and taking on humanity was to communicate to the world that the sinful human condition mattered to him. God encountered evil personally in a way that perfect deity had never before encountered. He had to defeat death by dying. He understood our suffering, having lived here, becoming a vulnerable, killable human being. He lived among us, he moved into our neighborhood. He wanted to get up close. I like how John Piper expressed it. He says, if you come into a community and you build a huge palace with a wall around, it says one thing about your desires to be with the people. But if you pitch a tent in my backyard, you'll probably use my bathroom and eat often at my table. 
That is why God became a human. He came to pitch a tent in our human backyard so that we would have a lot of close interaction. God doesn't do long-distance relationships. We don't have to have this long-distance relationship with God. He became man so that you might know him personally and experientially. God became man, that is what he, and that is what we needed more than anything else. He came full of grace and truth. John MacArthur put it this way, in Jesus Christ, the unknowable becomes knowable, the invisible becomes visible, the transcendent becomes intimate, the untouchable becomes touchable, the unreachable becomes embraceable. Now get this, and God is never again a stranger to a believing heart. Is Jesus a stranger to you? Or maybe has been as of late? You trying to do the long distance thing with him? Listen, the creator of all loves and wants you. The extent to which God has gone to reach you. Has he been trying to reach you? Has God been going to great lengths to kind of win you back? Or maybe win you for the first time. Because you've got some distance there. He's going, I want you. Listen, respond, I'm calling you. There was this promotion by HR Block several years ago. They offered uh, walk-in customers a chance to win a drawing for a million dollars. And Glenn and Gloria Sims of Sewell, New Jersey, won the drawing. But they refused to believe it when an HR Block representative phoned them with the good news. They said, no, I don't really believe you. This must be a scam. And after additional contact, several of them actually, they kept reaching out to them by both, both mail and, and phone. The Sims still thought it was just a scam and they usually just hung up the phone or trashed the special notices. But they didn't give up, HR Block. Some weeks later, HR Block called one more time to let the Sims know the deadline for accepting the million dollar prize was nearing that the story of their refusal to accept the prize was going to appear on an upcoming NBC Today show. Well, at that point, Mr. Sims decided to do a little investigation. And a few days later, he and his wife appeared on the Today show to tell America that they had finally gone to HR Block to claim the million-dollar prize. And Mr. Sims' final words were, he said, from the time this has been going on, HR Block explained to us they really wanted a happy ending to all of this, and they were ecstatic that we finally accepted the prize. God wants a similar ending as he offers to you salvation. Love to talk to you about it. God entered this world bringing the best news ever. How do you respond? Can't be true. I'm not going to buy that. And whether you call yourself a believer or an unbeliever, what do you do with this Jesus? How is this Jesus going to impact your life as you drive out of the parking lot today? How is this Jesus going to impact your life as you drive out of this parking lot today? Let's pray. God, we thank you for coming down and meeting our greatest need. We thank you for coming down and showing us
the extent you're going to go to reach us. May we not blow it off. May we not put it off. May we not say another time. But if we're at that place today, we've heard it, we know the gospel, others have shown it to us and expressed it to us in words, and we're just going, not now. May today be the day. We say, I'll, t- I'll, I'll take this Jesus who's in this Bible. For all of us who know this Jesus, I pray, God, we wouldn't just settle for a long-distance relationship with you, but allow you to break in and reach into our lives Answer the call that you have on our lives and allow you to be Lord, King of our mountain, Lord of our lives that will impact us. What we do as we go from here today, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.